So, let's um, let's talk for a minute about why we, we talked a little bit about what covenant theology is. Being careful, of course, not to give a strictly seminary definition. If you want that, go to seminary. Um, but let's talk for a minute about why this is important. It's a little bit obvious. Of course, it's important because it's scripture. It's it's a way of understanding scripture and, and making sense of it. But what does it have to do with our everyday lives? Why would someone care? Because when we're sharing the gospel, if we're making cold calls in the mall, if you, know, if you do that sort of thing, <clears throat> we're not just going to go up to someone and say, Hello, may I talk to you about the uh, supremacy of the New Covenant over the Old Covenant today? <laughs> Wait, you don't do that? I, I don't. No. I mean, should I? Perhaps. Uh, hello, are you suffering under the uh, weight of the Mosaic Law? <laughs> uh, we don't generally do that. Maybe some people do. So, why do they care? I mean, normally it's just, do you believe in Jesus? Uh, and, and then we go from there. And maybe five or ten years later, if ever, they might get around to talking about the covenants. But why does this matter to the average Joe who's not in seminary and who's not a pastor, who's just just a Christian? Why does it matter? Uh, okay, well, I'll take a stab at it since David has gotten... I just simply need a moment He's to gather got, my thoughts. He got, okay. he got scared. That's he was, not he was what like, this That's is. That's a loaded question. How that, am I well, I mean, it is loaded. That? Isn't everything we're talking about loaded? <laughs> uh, you're right. Um, I would, so I would say why it's important um, is, honestly, it's just kind of essentially the gospel, right? Um, you, so God laid out the, the covenants with Abraham and uh, then Moses and then David and all that. And um, as it was in Galatians, no, Galatians, where it was like Jesus was the one God made the covenant yeah. with, too. Galatians chapter 3. Right. So, um, and that, that's big, right? Uh, if, so. Jesus fulfilling the covenants is how uh, he gained perfect right standing with God. Him never sinning uh, with him, keeping the moral law, the sacrificial law, and the the third one. What's the third one? I don't remember. Ceremonial. Ceremonial law. Well, ceremonial is sacrificial. Law. Civil. Civil. Okay, civil law. Um, so, and if Jesus was not able to keep these covenants, then uh he would not have been the perfect sacrifice that we needed that could have gone to the cross for us uh to receive the full and just wrath for everybody that um would believe so i think that's like maybe we don't necessarily articulate it that way but that's that's kind of that's how i view uh why Covenant theology is important, and being able to view it that way, I guess. Anyways, and also all the promises and stuff that were made in the covenants that we get through Jesus fulfilling uh, said covenants. So, uh, I think Nicholas has something he wants to say. 
Yeah, just a question. I, and I don't ask this as um, a challenge or like um, necessarily like this is, this is what I view or anything. Um, but just for uh, a clarifying question. Um, um, so I, I believe and agree with what you're saying about the importance of covenant theology and the emphasis that that, that puts on Jesus fulfilling the covenants and why that's integral to our faith. Um, but growing up in a Southern Baptist church like these guys with people that are largely just kind of by default dispensationalists, even if they don't realize it, um, I don't think any of them would deny the truth of that. So how does adhering to a covenant theology um, give that like uh, more soundness than a dispensationalist that would say like, yeah, Jesus fulfilled the law and that's why his sacrifice was, you know, suitable to, to cover our transgressions. I would say this is kind of a similar situation to what we encountered last season talking about um, three of the five points. Um, it's similar because for the most part, in the Southern Baptist Church, or, you know, just people around us, for the most part, they wouldn't disagree with at least three out of the five, uh, especially, you know, like total depravity. Most people do agree that we are totally depraved. However, when, uh, like you, like Dustin said earlier, it's when you begin to compare the dispensationalist way of arriving at that to the covenantal theological way of arriving at that that you point out some kind of hidden inconsistencies kind of hidden snares is, is kind of a way that I think about it um, it's it's almost like a, a carefully laid trap um, and we can when we talk in, in, about more of those differences and criticisms between dispensationalism and, and covenant theology we can kind of get more into the weeds with this but <clears throat> Having the conversation at all can bring out, it's kind of like when you do your math homework, it's not enough just that you get the right answer, you've got to show your work, because you may have gotten the right answer this time, but if you've not taken the right steps to get there, then in a different situation, you'll get the totally wrong answer and not know why. So, for example, talking about Christ as our federal representative, as opposed to Adam, which we'll get into, um, and, and understanding him as a representative of us, and understanding the, the imputation of his righteousness onto us, that's nested in covenant language and how that's given to us, whereas in dispensationalism, broadly speaking, loosely, you know, loosely speaking, how we arrive at the imputed righteousness of Christ is very different. Um, I would even wager to say, of course, a lot of them wouldn't put it this way, but I would wager to say that there's a lot more of a works-based theology as to how we arrive at the imputed righteousness of Christ from a dispensationalist point of view versus a covenant point of view. Gotcha. So, so, does that make sense? Yeah, so you're saying that even though surface level we may have agreement on like just say the fact that um jesus kept the law right um 
uh, there are deeper implications to how we arrive there that can affect the rest of our theology surrounding that. Yeah, and even when we get into talking about the difference between covenant theology and new covenant theology, specifically regarding the Mosaic covenant and the Mosaic law, that even that affects, you know, we both camps would say that the law was fulfilled in Christ, but they come to different conclusions about whether we are still obligated to keep part of the law of Moses or not. Um, and I would say dispensationalist as well. Yeah, I would agree that I think the when it comes to dispensational theology, um, a lot of the why is this important versus covenant theology or whatever, it, a lot of it is hidden. So I agree definitely with Dusty on that, that there's all these like little hidden things that, that it's like it's important that we get this right because because it is an interpretive uh, framework. So wh how we approach that is going to affect all sorts of other things. The other thing is, is as to why, like how is or why is covenant theology important is because to understand, uh, to understand like the covenants, to understand um, how God has revealed himself and how God has... Um, chosen to interact with human beings really like the covenants are the as one person put it is is really like the backbone of the bible that sort of strings everything together and really you you can't really fully understand the scripture without understanding i mean covenant theology you, you don't really get it in its fullness and so like anything whenever you really are able to to look at these covenants to understand these covenants, to understand them correctly and the way that they, how they, um, like why and how they matter to us. What it does is what any good theology does. It deepens your love and appreciation for God, right? So when I fully understand the fulfillment of the covenant made with Abraham, when I fully understand the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant with the eternal throne and, and Jesus. Like when I get that, those things, when I talk about the covenant theology, when I think about the covenants, like when I was, you know, doing my readings and stuff and getting ready to, to, to be able to talk about this, it stirred up my, like, like I got excited because, because like Dustin was saying earlier, like the covenant theology, like really, I mean, the covenants are the gospel. And so some people want to look at the old Testament disjointed from the new testament and we want to we want to say things like you know jesus is superior theology and we really don't need all the other stuff but the reality is is that it's always jesus like it's always been jesus like it's always christ it's always his work all the covenants are fulfilled in jesus christ and so whenever we like so why should we study the covenants because it's jesus it's about jesus and and really it's like is it to fully understand covenant theology, is that essential for salvation? No. You, you do. There are things that are obviously you have to understand, otherwise you don't get it. There's no true faith if you don't understand completely um, certain things about salvation in Christ. But the reality is, is that, like, why is it important? Is because we have a relationship with God. And so as a Christian, you should want to know him more and more and as deeply as you can, Right? So when we understand these covenants, we understand his revealed 
we we understand him because we understand the word and he is the word <laughs> right yeah um i don't know that i'm gonna do a good job at this uh um, join the club yeah well i was go back to nicholas question about like uh i get what how'd you word it like what's the difference like if um what i was if um so i was specifically referring to uh what you said about um you know jesus being a fulfillment of the covenants and like that would be in part of why covenant theology is so important and i asked um like if that's a defining part of covenant theology but people uh, most dispensationalists would agree that that is true like so i don't think that they would like not all of them like some of them are saved for israel like uh they believe that the the king that there's going to be a different i don't know if they think it's going to be jesus or somebody else from the line of david or something but like during the millennium uh the covenant that god made with david uh isn't isn't fulfilling its fulfillment in jesus and then thus uh the gentiles joining the line of abraham but it's uh in the millennium there's going to come a new king whether it's jesus or some like i thought it was always just jesus that they thought but i've heard something else that makes me think that they might think it's somebody just from the line of david um so like jesus fulfilling all all of it for us not just some of them for us and then the rest for uh ethnic israel or ethnic jews so that's, I, I think that that's the best stab I can make it answering that. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good answer. That makes sense, and and I agree. Um, I think, I don't think I was this specific when I asked, but in my mind I was purely thinking mosaic yeah. covenant, right. and so you know Jesus fulfilling the law. But when it comes to like the Davidic stuff and all that, like you're you're spot on. Right. Yeah, uh, just to expound on that a little bit. Of course, every every person is unique, and um, all of their beliefs are not going to perfectly align with dispensationalism or covenant theology or anything like that. But generally speaking, there is a lot of talk about there being specific promises not yet fulfilled um, within the dispensationalist camp, which is why eschatology is such a big deal, because there are are prophecies and promises that they talk about not yet being fulfilled. Now, in covenant theology, we kind of have two different camps. We have everything's already done, um, and then we have the already and not yet. So they've been fulfilled in one way already, and we'll circle back around again. Um, I'm not sure who coined that phrase. I heard it from David Platt first. I don't know if he invented that, but... We talk about the already and the not yet, but they have a lot of not yet. Um, and so that really does affect how you read the Bible. Essentially, again, this is really uh, oversimplifying maybe for some people, but what it boils down to is, a, a, I'm, I'm doing air quotes right now, a good dispensationalist ends up throwing out a lot of the Bible because it doesn't apply to them. Um, and they may say that that's not true, but, uh, but it is, um, unless they believe something that differs 
from that because they they kind of divide up scriptures, um, especially concerning Israel versus the church. And they'll say, you know, this doesn't apply to us as Gentile church members. Uh, this only applies to Israel. This doesn't apply to us or, or this doesn't apply to Israel. This only applies to us. And so a good chunk of scripture they end up tossing out um and and so that really affects what they're studying and what they're what they're reading and essentially at the bottom level not necessarily at the seminary level but at the bottom level what that leads to is generally a disdain for the old testament um and and really like a complete disregard for uh anything before matthew so, but that's kind of a people problem too, not necessarily a theology problem. Um, that gave me a, a quick question, and if we don't want to, um, if we don't want to tread out in these waters yet, we can just cut this. Um, but if it could be answered quickly, um, it would entertain my curiosities. Um, so you touched on it earlier with uh, many dispensationalists being cessationists. Um, I've also noticed that oddly many Pentecostals are dispensationalists, at least in their eschatology. Um, so, and, and then, you know, you see we, we're putting like dispensationalism versus covenant theology. So like if dispensationalist is cessationist, like it would logically like covenant theology would be continuationist. But we see a lot of Reformed folks hold to covenant theology, but also cessationism. Um, anyway, the thing that jogged all this was when you said the already and not yet, or now and not yet. Um, this is going to kind of like shine a spotlight on the charismatic in me, but when I hear that, I always think of like, you know, heaven breaking through, and it's like these promises are, are now and not yet. Like there's healing now, but also there's ultimate healing, not yet you know, um, resurrected bodies, um, not resurrected bodies, but just like, uh, new, new bodies. Um, so that got me on this train of thought. Um, can we, can we talk about the, the conflict there within, um, covenant theology of like, why do we see that there's a, a norm for both of these, like dispensationalists to be cessationist, uh, but yet there's still these large chunks that are like the opposite and how does that reconcile yeah i think a lot of that really does come down to um individuality and diversity um and just the fact that there's there's really not very much systematic study of scripture anymore unless you're in seminary and are using these terms just your average person in a church is is not so I chalk a lot of it up to that. I I agree with you that it is ironic, and I see that distinction as well. Um, and so I think that um, I've just lost my train of thought. Give me a second. You have to, yeah, go ahead. So to first thing my mind went to when Nicholas asked that question was just i guess if we're going to follow the rabbit hole trail whatever um i don't so i think why 
it's weird that Pentecostal people are dispensationalist in their theology is uh, because most most dispensationalists originally are secessionist or however you say it don't believe the gifts are active anymore um, and it's and like why that's weird I think is the hypocrisy in it because they believe in like wasn't it some it was some girl or something that were that was having visions or something and that's apparently where some of this came from and then also to the point Dusty mentioned earlier um, how something else was a kind of a different revelation so it's kind of just I feel like it's not so much that uh, covenant theologians are necessarily continuous uh, it's just that if you examine dispensationalism and the history of it, it uh it seems to come from new revelation which would seem to, to make sense to me that they would believe in the gifts continuing but then they don't so i feel like that's kind of like that's that's what i was thinking like the it's kind of doesn't make sense uh so yeah that that would be my best stab at it like it's just kind of the hypocrisy and them trying to do backflips to prove that dispensationalism is real. Yeah, and and I know that um, many Pentecostals would would say that, um, like it, it's not odd that they're dispensationalists because we are in a new dispensation of the Spirit, and so that's why with like Azusa Street and stuff like that, we started seeing these like. Uh, more frequent and larger workings of the spirit in that time as part of like a, a dispensation. Um, so I don't know. It, it seems to be kind of intertwiny sometimes and, and hard to follow, but um, I think we're getting there. Yeah. It's just, it's important to, to note as, as we're talking about this, that, um, you know, I, I really can't stress enough that, Although we're going to be using seminary terms and seminary ideologies, uh, your average person doesn't use this. And so, um, again, that accounts for a lot of the diversity that you see because they believe what they believe and it's a mixed bag, uh, it, which is really true for all of us. But as we study more, we begin to be more systematic about our theology. Um, but I think that accounts for a lot of it. Yeah, um... So, my my stab at it, and and unfortunately, I think that it's just painfully simple. The reason for that, because I agree with you that that it seems to be that most Pentecostals, obviously speaking generally and broadly, are would be dispensational. It, it, the the painful reality, I think, is, and I think we kind of already said this, but is that they're dispensational in like their view of end times. And then other than that, they've not given it really any other thought. It's just like, because dispensationalism so, I almost said infected, um, so permeated like evangelicalism in America specifically that it basically, with the exception of, I'm pretty sure, like, basically the Presbyterians, um, it just completely 
I mean, even some of them, but it depends on if they're the good ones or not. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it's so like seeped into mainstream, you know, evangelicalism that it's like, it's almost like everyone became at some point dispensationalist by default. And so I think that it's like most Pentecostals, they just are because, because to be a Christian these days, of course you believe that like, there's going to be a great tribulation and the, the church is going to get raptured prior. And like, it's almost like you just are by default. And obviously I'm, I'm, it's kind of tongue in cheek, like not really, but like, that's almost how it's how most people are raised is to believe dispensationally about specifically eschatology, not any more nuanced than that. It's just like almost because almost every like mainstream, you know, like pastor or whatever sort of, began teaching those kind of things. And then you have people on like TV, people like John Hagee, who are like almost at an insane level of dispensationalism where it's just like, you know, let's turn my entire church into this huge timeline chart. I don't know if any of y'all have seen that, but it's just, I mean, it's just where it, where study of the end times basically overtakes everything that we're talking about. And there is no room for any other, talking about the scripture anymore and so I, you know you've got people on that spectrum but i think it honestly is just that, that it was that and it didn't get it but most charismatics don't talk about it beyond that it's just like you were by default that seems painfully simple and but no i, th I think that's a good point um and again th this season is really about I promise this season is about covenant theology and not just why we disagree with dispensationalism. However, again, it's 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 there they are intimately linked, uh, especially where we are. Um, but I think that is a good point uh, that the exposure that most people have to dispensationalism is in the study of of the end times. It's kind of like if I'm talking about Terminator. I'm really only talking about the second movie. I think that's just kind of well established <laughs> now. So I'm not talking about the first one. So if you go and watch the first one and think you're going to relate to me and talking about it, you're gonna we're gonna be confused. I, I mean, I'm kind of saying that tongue in cheek, but that's what happens. So if you go to talk to someone who they may not even know to use that term dispensationalism, but they're talking about the secret rapture. They're talking about um, the great tribulation. They're talking about the antichrist. They're talking about the millennial reign of Christ and the binding of Satan and all of that kind of stuff. And then you say, you know, well, or, or uh, they're talking about um, Israel being special and, and being a Christian Zionist and having particular favoritism towards Israel but then you begin to talk to them about the cessation of the gifts or the different dispensations of grace throughout history they're going to look at you funny um, for the most part again unless they've been to seminary or they've got one of those Seasco uh, field Bibles or something like that for the most part they're, they're they signed up for the end times they didn't sign up for all the other stuff so I think that has a lot to do with it. So this is kind of a good pausing point for uh, just by way of introduction. That's kind of a taste of 
where we're going to go with all of this. Um, and again, please don't expect this to be a, a seminary level course on any of this. This is really just to whet your appetite. Um, so that's all for, for this introduction uh, of covenant theology. There's much more to come. All right, well, uh, that's uh, that's going to wrap us up for this episode. So thank you for sticking around this long. Um, once again, I'm Dusty. I'm David. Bye, guys. I'm Dustin. See you in the next one. Hi, it's Nicholas. Thanks for listening. Take care. <laughs>